Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Ruben, and we are live on Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. I'm going to pull in my microphone here to look and feel and sound cool and better. Um, <laughs> um, so, I'm excited about this convo because it's about winning and it's about how to win specifically in business. And, uh, you know, I didn't really understand the concept of a, of a coach or business coaching or, or any of that sort of realm, I'd say like five years ago. And then within the last half of a decade, I've realized how important it is for all of us to just sharpen our, our tools and just to get out there. So today I have a vet with me and she's an expert. She's got 10 years under her belt at Accenture, which is a big deal. And congratulations for getting through that. That must have been very challenging and very rewarding at the same time. So I'd love to learn about your origin story, and I'd love to learn a whole lot of things from you about how to win in business. Okay, so let's do it. Let's all, everyone listen in, and let's all be more winners than we already are, because we start off as winners, and we just become more of that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So you want to hear the origin story of Accenture? You want to hear the origin story of starting? Oh, this is all about you. I want to hear your origin it's story. Not yeah. my personal. Or- oh, okay. So, well, I started. I was in this womb. It was warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and oh, I don't know if it was fuzzy. But, oh, I knew it was cool. Um, but I was born, actually, I was born in Nigeria. Oh. I moved to the U.S. when I was six. And um, I have lived in four continents, 10, seven states, I think 11 or 12 cities and more homes than my age. Mm. And yes. And so what that made a huge impression, I've always thought differently. And if you guys hear me sniffles, I have some sniffles. Um, But when you move around a lot as a kid, first of all, you're either kind of like, you find a way to win or you just kind of shut down and read a lot of books. So <laughs> when you move that much, you got to find an angle to make new friends on a very consistent basis. And so I figured that out. But I also really had to figure out that people always think everything is the way it is. And just like mm-hmm. super simple example, like middle school was rough for everyone. It was rough for me too. Um, or at least I think it's rough for a lot of people. And then high school, I went to two different high schools. And um, the first high school, the people who were preppy, dressed a certain way. It was in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, not everyone played sports. And then I moved to Texas where like everyone played sports. And if you didn't play sports, you were some kind of crazy person. So I was like, why do you people think I'm gonna play a sport? I'm not, like I'm acting great, like that's what I do. And the way the preppy people dressed in Denton, Texas was how the losers dressed in Lexington, Kentucky. And so mm. like a, just a basic example, but it always showed me that people have these fixed paradigms and um, the culture, whether it's the school, the city, the race, religion, whatever, the company, the industry, and they thought that's how everything was. And so I got very used to recognizing that everything isn't that way and then communicating that to people and then thinking I'm crazy, <laughs> which it took a couple years or a few years to learn that. I, when someone says I'm crazy, it really means I've just said something innovative that they haven't thought about before. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is. So it took a lot of, I'm crazy, middle, high school, college, work, 
uh, to finally realize like, oh no, don't take that to hurt your feelings. It means you're innovative and it's challenging their thinking and they're not enjoying that process. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's, it's, that's the easiest target actually. A yeah. person that's thinking differently, that's thinking outside the box, that is the easiest person to make fun of. Yes. yes. You know, and that's, and I, I'll speak just on behalf of myself. You know, I was, I was a geek growing up, a little bit of a nerd, geek, uh, dweeb, dork, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had my cool side too. I was a drummer as well. Um, but uh, definitely not in the cool crowd. But yeah, you're easy target. But then you kind of realize that you're just thinking a little bit differently. And, you know, that moment that you realize in your life that you can actually channel that creativity and that energy and hopefully yeah. intelligence, then there's there's a whole world waiting for you. It is. And I would actually venture, and we're going to talk about winning in business. What you guys notice is there's a lot of personal development also underneath because you have to believe you can win is we all see things differently. Some people more often different than others. I mean, I happen to be bilingual for as, as a young early age I lived in all these different cultures my family is very my biological family that I grew up with it's very different from me so I had difference was just all over the place mm. um and so I would obviously stand out more in every situation but even someone who's lived in the same city their entire life and you actually agree with most of the stuff your family thinks. You still have like we all see life a little bit differently. No, like I don't know simple stuff. I don't know what green looks like for you, Ruben. Like I have only seen it through my eyes. Mm. I've only ever, and this is the kind of question I would ask when I was like nine or ten, and then your parents are like, "Oh my god, if this kid will just not show." Um, I don't know what green or blue or any color looks like for anyone. So we all, by definition see our own specific perspective and our lives are really just how we perceive the things around us and so being clear on that gives you the power to say yeah i'm innovative or i see this different and that's fine or i'm not good at marketing yet but i can learn or i haven't had a business yet but i can learn like once you recognize that life is a choice like how you see it is a choice and if you recognize you can change that then so many things become possible for you it's really that realization it's that choice it's that opening how many what percentage of people actually have that moment though let's just face it for a second uh and number real low <laughs> right really low yeah, I mean, I would say to be—I mean, not to be dismal, but I would probably say less than less than one percent of humanity has that. Oh, you know, I—I got to tell you, this is such an in interesting topic for me. So I watched this—I watched this documentary over the weekend. It's called Magnus, and it's about the new world chess champion. Yes. Um, and it's it's phenomenal. So he—he's—he's he's the world champ in chess, and he's—he won it in um, twenty thirteen and then defended the title in 2014, 2016, 2018, yeah. and, and beyond. And this documentary, which is on Netflix available, it's what's really interesting is that at a very young age, uh, I guess the parents or maybe he or a collective of people realized that he had this talent. Yeah. And he had this intelligence, right? And of course they got into the chess and then the rest was history because he just kept going and he didn't stop. Yeah. And as a father of two kids, I started to say, well, yeah are my kids going to find their calling? You know, are they going to say, well, I'm really good at tennis or I'm really good at yoga or I'm really good at making videos or whatever, you know, or are they, are they not, are they just going to be 
great kids it, it just yeah. life you know and and i'm cool either way it doesn't really matter they don't need to be the next you know world champ at something but yeah. i i started to ask myself and i started to think like what what does that process look like to actually find your calling and to to find your purpose and to say this is it and i started to think then because i overanalyze everything is what percentage of the people actually don't so in your finding your calling yeah what was your catalyst yeah i'll say that and i'll say you may overanalyze anything or you just may analyze more than the majority of humans. Maybe or not, that's over and they're under-analyzing. Oh, it's painful sometimes. <laughs> Maybe they're under, I mean, it depends, right? Like, I'm sure, you know, people would say, you know, Einstein probably, some people would say he overanalyzed. If they didn't think he was a scientist, they'd be like, stop thinking so hard. And like, yeah. oh, scientists, oh, now it's suddenly okay. We've now put it in the context that makes it okay. Ah, uh, yes. So I would say my journey actually ties very much into what you said. So when I was the summer of, um, I think third or fourth grade, I was like 10, I started five businesses. <laughs> so okay. I actually had a huge passion for business at a very young age. Um, but like good Nigerian parents, I was meant to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Okay. Well, I was witty. I had a strong opinion and I talked a lot. The lawyer okay. was <laughs> the predetermined option. Okay. It was not business person. And so I don't actually think people find their passion like, oh my God, I found gold, Eureka. Mm. I think it's one of those things that you just live and you recognize it's your passion. So yeah, I I started a, a newspaper. So people like, and these are the ways you know how I was passionate about it. Like I like to write and so I started a newspaper, but most people don't start a newspaper to sell it. Mm. So, and again, it was like Microsoft 3.0. So I was handwriting. I mean, I had nothing to do with summertime. And mind you, this is summertime. I wasn't being forced. I was choosing in my summer for fun to handwrite a newspaper and then sell in my neighborhood. Um, the second edition, my parents did not approve of the content. <laughs> and okay. so that went down. And then I had the cooking business, and which is a great example of how I believe in business. Uh, my mom bought the cookie dough, so uh, minimized cost. <laughs> my mom made the cookies because she just believed we were doing it together because we were both girls. So I was just like, oh. and, and you just bought the raw materials, right? Just basic flour, sugar, baking soda. My mom. Right. <laughs> I decided right. I was going to sell cookies. Got it. Okay. I cool. told my mom I was going to make some cookies and sell cookies. What my mom heard is, oh, we're going to be girly together and make cookies. Okay. Got it. She's not in the business, so she made the cookies. Okay. Right? So I outsourced. I didn't pay for anything. Okay. She made the cookies. I stood there in the kitchen and I had gone door to door and I made a list of all the orders. And then it was super organized, at least as I remember from my 10 year old self. Then unfortunately in the baking process, I lost the sheet. But mind you, think about if you, and we talk later about how I think, you know, business can be affected to scale. I, I had low costs since my mom bought it. Uh, I outsourced production, my mom. And all I did was the initial upfront sale and I had the idea. And then when I lost the list, I, I lived in, um, you know, and I was like a cute 10 year old kid and I knew this. So I was like, no one's going to give me crap for losing this list. So I just put, I had like three types of cookies. I just put them all on a plate and I always make sure I had like an even distribution when I started. And I would just go to the next person's house. It was just my little, my neighborhood and say, hi, here are the cookies you ordered. How many of each again? Ah. And and I and I I didn't ask for help to get that line, right? Like no one helped me in this process. This was okay. a fun thing. 
I was later no longer allowed to go door to door selling things. That's how much is not supported. Okay. And so, but if you just think about that from the business, what I did was I had the idea, I built the customer relationship, and I sold. And you had an investor. That's an important part. Yes. Oh, and I kept every dollar. Okay. <laughs> anything that I, made, I put in a piggy bank. I also had a dollar allowance a week, but I realized nobody remembers that. So I would just ask multiple times a day from both parents. <laughs> I paid up like $927 in like a year in my green piggy bank. And um, then we were taking like a family vacation to Nigeria. It was my first time going back. And they were like, oh, well, let's use some money from the from your piggy bank. And I was like, well, it's my money. My dad's like, no, we gave all of it to you. And I'm like, well, we transferred ownership to me. <laughs> so I wrote my parents a contract and I rounded up. I wrote a con, I hand wrote my parents a contract. <laughs> and they both had to sign it. And I kept it until I was like 25 years old. <laughs> I did not know business was my passion. So I would say the thing about parents is you have to just pay attention to your kids and be open to it. Ah, you got to be listening. You got to be looking for those signs because if someone's just making cookies and filling up a piggy bank and signing a contract, that's bigger stuff. And, okay. And my parents aren't business people. Let mm. me, I, let me say that there was, I wasn't watching shark tank or now that I'm like, I don't even know where I learned how to, I mean, I just, however a 10 year old learns how to do a contract. I wasn't in business school. I had no, nothing in my life was saying sell stuff and write contracts. But I thought, or nothing, I thought you gave me the money. It is now mine. You now owe me. Yes, they still continue to support me, but it was like, look, we made a specific contract for this amount. I even asked them, are you okay with my rounding up? Because I think $1,000, I mean, the thoughtfulness to do that. And then to save that piece of paper and that green piggy bank until I was in my mid-20s. So even though I had that, I didn't know that business was my passion. So I was still supposed to be pre-law. I ended up interning at the fourth largest law firm in the world where I was an undergrad. And I just realized I didn't want to be there. Mm. And I was also a business major and a political science major. And so um, I knew my parents weren't going to support the going into consulting. So I had a six month savings account ready for that to be cut off financially. And then I interviewed, I got a, a job at Accenture. I ended up doing business strategy. I really loved strategy. I was at Accenture for 10 years. Um, it was like, it's like 99, 97.9% .9 of all uh, uh, people at Accenture by the time I left were all newer than me. So that's how wow. I, yeah. Wow. They have, and then, and people stick around. I mean, people are on the long track. Well, a lot of Accenture people are on the long track, but you have to think about how small the pyramid is. So yes, yes. Plus, means, plus, plus you probably shift a number of times and changed your focus. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot of varied interests. And I also learned that I was a generalist. So that's mm. also something that's different about how I run, how we do our coaching is we have a team of serial entrepreneurs that are actually knowledgeable in different areas versus you go to someone and like they help you with marketing. But now you have people who want to buy from you. And now you need to find another person to help you with sales. And then sales is going well. And now you need to hire. Then you find another person to help you with hiring. At the end of the day, you got now six coaches. Half of them understand you. Half of them don't. And it's a pain in the ass. So, so that's an interesting thing that you just mentioned. So you mentioned that you're a generalist. So yeah, I go back and forth on this all the time. You know, I hear people say I'm a specialist. I hear people say I'm a generalist. You know, jack of all trades, Jill of all trades. What's the future? I mean, what is is 
You know, yeah. it's 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 like this conversation about well, I'm right brained and I'm left brained, and you know, I feel like that's a little bit outdated now because we're everything brain. We're doing everything right. So, what what is your take on that? We need both. So, yeah. for example, you know, I would say I'm a generalist because of how most people think, but my actual focus is the ability to take an idea and an organization and grow it very quickly mm. and into a large scale. So that's my actual specific focus. Now, in order to do that, I have to understand how to market an idea because whether you have a nonprofit or a for-profit, people have to be interested. I have yes. to understand how you activate somebody becoming a member, joining, signing up. We call that sales. Yes. Everything is done with humans. You have to be able to organize and manage humans. And if you're going to scale and make something big, you have to be able to delegate and trust and have people be passionate. We call that leadership and management and HR. Mm. So my actual ability is the ability to take an idea, turn it into an organization and have it grow and really exceed target. Now to do that, I have to be able to integrate all these different pieces. Mm. So, we still need specialists and generalists, but you just have to think about when you inject them. So for example, we're considering using uh, a marketing specialist for some branding work. Now, we're not ever, luckily because of the strength of the, the team of coaches that I have, we don't need to actually look outside the business for a lot of things because we're all quite good. But for this particular, we're looking for focused, online branding with some very specific things that we're working on that are very new in the marketplace. So you're only good at it if you focused on this for the last at least seven years. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And so she is quite good at it. And she's that's all she's done for the last seven years. And also it, it's also something it's online stuff and online stuff changes so quickly. So it makes sense to use um, specialists when you need their specialist help. Now, what I find is the challenge is business owners too often use specialists. So for example, um, because it also helps you run challenges that it helps you stay in your comfort zone. And two, you, it's just people sell the sexy and they don't necessarily sell you what you need. <laughs> so, <laughs> one thing I see is people are constant. People a lot of times will go to uh, marketing people. So we had I had a woman who was talking to me, <laughs> and she was saying she wanted to grow her business. She had a ten thousand person email list. She had thousands of people come to events that she had run at too low of a price. So her business is not is doing terribly profitably. Many people are interested. So you know what she wanted? More marketing. Mm. She actually, marketing was already her strength. That's why she has an amazing email list. That's how she can get people. But she was terrible at pricing, which is why the business was doing so. She could barely make ends meet. And she was terrible at sales. She had a lot of fear around sales, which is part of the reason she can't make ends meet. And she also couldn't hire, couldn't manage, which is why the business couldn't grow larger than you know, what she could do in eight hours a day. Mm. So, but she was always ready to buy marketing and communications because that was her strength. Yeah. But that was actually the last thing she needed to pay for because that was her strength. Right. And so 
really, and so what's the benefit of when you work with us is that when we can see your business and our focus is helping you get what outcome you need. And so we know that will require different pieces. And a lot of times there's even a twist. We had one client come in, um, his business makes about $4 million, but the, the margin wasn't great. And so he came in wanting to improve operations and be more effective and be more lean to increase his margin. And so we looked at it and we were like, yes, there's definitely an opportunity. But then we also found like a brand new revenue stream. <laughs> oh. Low cost and that could double from four to eight in five years. Because this bigger fear and concern was that the number one and two players had so much money they could just buy up everybody in the market. And so we knew that the business needed to be more effective with people and process. But with this new market, with this new like thing that we're, this new revenue stream, we're working on marketing and sales to get it out. We're doing it effectively. So what we're doing is making it the template. So once it gets done, there's going to be an operational manual. He's going to be able to hand it off. And so then we're going to say, hey, look at this new thing that we just did, team, this year. You only have to get 5% of all our existing leads. They already have like 50,000 leads. So we're just using their existing client base to say yes. How great is this? Great. So you see how efficiently we did it? It's like our fastest launch. Yes, because we had manuals. Yes. Now we're going to be using the same manual process and metrics process throughout our business. So this is really, so you're really focusing on, on a new, new revenue stream and then also economies of scale to get that profitability. Yeah. Well, for him, right? So our, what we look at is people, process, and profit. And he came in wanting to look at process. And we did look at process. And then we found that there's a huge opportunity in having a new product and a new service, which will another thing to affect profit. So being able to holistically look. So if we were an operational excellence uh, firm, then we would help them. With all, that's all we would see, right? If you go to a plumber, you're going to, and there's something wrong with the toilet. That's what they're going to tell you. They're not going to tell you the found. If you go to a, you know, someone who fixes foundations, they're going to tell you there's something wrong with their toilet. Your foundation's uneven. <laughs> if you go to a person who's an expert in homes, they'll inspect the entire home. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's the difference. So we are able to look at your entire business and then pick one or three different areas to focus on. And actually when it's time to go from one area to another, help you like we see that in advance so we help you prep for that and you, and if you need so specialists are really good when you already know exactly what problem you want to solve yeah that that's an important distinction of that discovery process to figure yeah. out exactly what the problem is because yeah. if i if you know if i go to the doctor and i say hey doc you know my my feet are really scratching and the skin is really dry on my on my skin uh, and then he says, well, you need to go to a podiatrist. And then the podiatrist says, you need to put some lubrication on your skin. But it's actually, that's not the problem. It's actually a blood problem. <laughs> and I actually should be going to a heart specialist. You know, it's that discovery that takes someone that is obviously experienced, you know. Yeah. And experience. And that's what I'm saying. Experience in many different things because yeah. the podiatrist yeah. will always, either the podiatrist sees a foot problem or they have to, or they feel like they're not useful. Ah, uh, yeah. Have you ever thought about, I mean, so I actually had a health issue that I've been to over probably 70 different health professionals now. 
And I can tell you only one of them ever told me I'm not able to help you. Many mm -hmm. of them were unable to help. The only one who said it was like the best osteo um, bone surgeon in Texas who also happened to have a screenplay. And the reason I said that is I think he was just so confident and so smart. He didn't need to. So it's hard for people to say, I'm not the right service for you. One well, that, that's a that's a really interesting part. paradox. Okay, that's very interesting what you just talked about. That's a paradox where someone that has, and correct me if I if I misunderstood this, but someone that has a lot of experience, that's esteemed, that has a confidence, actually uh, steps back and says, "I'm not, I'm not the solution here." Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, when somebody has, and it's not just the esteem; it's the self awareness, and they and they don't need to. They're not insecure, mm -hmm. right? Like they can say he was able to say, and he was he. I was so focused on getting help. And he was like, I know you want my help, but I can't help you. And I was like, okay, explain to me why. Yeah. And he was like, here's what you can try next. And so first he had to have the awareness. So first of all, you know, say you are a marketing specialist, right? And, or maybe we shouldn't use marketing because you're in marketing. Say you are an HR specialist and you help people with people processes. Yeah. And you're in here and you're like, okay, we need to fix the hiring process and the onboarding process and your manuals. But really the problem is that the leader's mindset and attitude is crap and they don't know how to lead. It's not a management problem. If you don't work with people around mindset and leadership and how to build personal relationships with people, then you will fix the, you will focus on the processes and the manual and the onboarding steps. But that may not be the problem. So I think specialists are really, really good at feeling a particular niche and the challenge that most of us face is we don't have the 360 view to know what the specific problem is. And part of that is if it's your business, you're pretty emotionally attached. <laughs> it's like one of your kids, if you have a kid, or it is your only kid, if you don't. And you might, I mean, you might not have been, have been an expert in all the areas of a business, if you get what I mean. I mean, yeah. and that's where, um, the Accenture experience helped. I launched, uh, there was an app Verizon was working on. It was set to have 2,300 downloads. I got it to 1.6 million downloads. And that was my first app launch. I did cost reduction to the tune of $300 million. An M&A, two business units out of a larger group, the most difficult, $50 million. So at, having worked in HR with marketing, with all these different departments, it helps you see 360. Or if you've worked with a lot of businesses and helped with a lot of departments, or if you've been a serial entrepreneur yourself, it helps you start to see across all those things. And then if you've done it yourself, you also see the emotional piece. Like, I've never met an owner who says, ah, dang it, I want my team to be low performers. Dang it, I want a cap at just making it. You know, there's right. something also in them that needs to unlock. So having had the having the intellectual experience and the personal experiences within the team, we're able to address what our clients need to get to an outcome. And and to your, and when they need a specialist, so for example, one of our clients, she's looking at forex um, growth and bringing on people, which is super exciting. And they could do the accounting in-house, like the bookkeeping in-house, but they may not because it may not be a strength for them. And so we taught them how to, we're explaining how to do that. But we're also saying, you know, if it really becomes a stressor, because it'll be distracting, 
just find an outsourced bookkeeper. We're not saying we have to do your bookkeeping. You need to outsource bookkeeping if it becomes distracting to you from growing your business. Yeah. And so we know that that's what she needs at a certain point if it becomes a distraction. And instead of focusing on, well, yeah, we could just, you know, set up a service and have her do it with us. If that's not the best thing for her, we're not going to suggest that. Does that make sense? So yeah. being like, and we also know this particular client, we know she'll get, dis- and we know the, the most important reason she needs guidance on this is she's the primary rainmaker and she's doing a great job. So for every hour she spends worrying about bookkeeping, it's how many hundreds of dollars is she losing? Well, that, I mean, that, that right there is one of the things that I, I think a lot of people struggle with is what is my, knowing what your time is worth, because when you know what your time is worth, then you can do a simple calculation on how to outsource that. Yes. You know, and unfortunately a lot of people, it's hard and I am totally, uh, you know, I, I'm absolutely guilty of this, but you know, this idea, well, let me just do it myself. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just do it myself. What's the big yeah. deal? Whether it's building the Ikea furniture or installing security cameras in your home or doing yeah. your own bookkeeping, doing your own yeah. so marketing, doing your own social. Uh, skilled than most of us. You can do Ikea and security. Uh, you're highly skilled. I, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The only way, the only way that I get through the very mundane tasks of my life, I must tell you, is when I actually record the process and I incorporate it in some other video yeah, and, and so- self-deprecate or have fun <laughs> or document it. So. so let me ask you a question. It's another way to look at time. How many um, hours, so for all the social media stuff you do, how many hours in a day do you have? So I'll have 10 hours in a day, eight, eight to 10. Yeah. It's 10 hours a day. Okay. Yeah. So um, ask me that same question. So how many hours do you have in a day? For social media stuff? For so oh you oh, well you, you asked me for social media or just all all in one? Just social media. Let's just oh, just in social media. So um I don't actually spend any time on social media really. All okay. I all I do is have conversations like this and build connections because that's what I'm good at and that's what okay. I enjoy. So well, everything everything gets outsourced. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah, I can't remember the last time. Every once in a while, I'll do a post here or there. But yeah. but to answer your question, it'll be like 20 minutes. But for content development, I spend three to four hours. Okay, so three to four hours on content development and 20 yeah. minutes here. Okay, <laughs> so ask me, how many hours do I have for... So for me, content development, all my social, how many hours do I have? Tell me, how many hours do you have? In a day, I have 40 hours. Okay, <laughs> because, <laughs> you have, because you have a team of people? <laughs> And that's a, yeah. And that's yeah. a way to look at it. Yeah. So if you only want to, if you want to do it yourself, you only have a limited number of hours. Right. And so I have 40 hours because I have three people doing eight hours a day and I do a max, a max of four hours. Sometimes I do zero yes. hours. Yeah. So, and I, there were weeks when I just, everything was ready and I didn't do anything because I needed to focus on something else for that week. So, the calculation can be hard, but that's always simple. How many hours a day do you have? Yes. yes. And my theory is if I don't add any value, I shouldn't do it. Right. Somebody else wants to learn and grow. And so we, we do something called teachers teaching teachers. So everybody is taught that your role in this company is to get so good you can teach someone else. And you get so good, you make us more money that allows you to get promoted, that allows you to make more money. 
but if you can't teach another person, you will do this until the day you die or quit. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So that's true. Those are scaling principles. And when everybody, even, I mean, everybody like the, my assistant, like even the most junior person buys into it, like then people listen differently. They, so I say, like, if I say something, I say, tell me like you'd be teaching it to someone. So it's not make sure you heard what the boss says, which is always boring. Tell me like you'd be teaching it to someone which you're invested in because you want to move and do different things. So well, also it activates a different part of your your body and your brain. And when you get you ha you have to find that confidence. Yes. You're. I mean, you you could freeze. You know, but chances are you don't. I mean, a lot of people don't. But yeah, and if you and if you freeze, then we learn something. Yes. yes. Sometimes right. what we learn is you don't learn best verbally. Right. And right. there's people on my team, as much as I'm clearly a verbal person, there are people that don't learn verbally. And so I actually almost never talk to them unless it's really critical about something they need to do. I write it down. So it's actually, I've learned, you know, some people really learn well verbally, like I do, great. Some people really need written down and time to process offline. And so we, so for those kinds of people, I'm going to give them written information, written directions and ask them to write me back, send me a loom video, but that, so if I can see that you can't teach this, then I know it's not working. So instead of me just doing over and over again, what works for me, or, you know, it wasn't like we did all this stuff at Accenture. It's not what works for me or what I've done. It's what works for you. Right. Right. So you, whether you are the client, whether you are the person who works for me, it's what works for you that matters because we're about creating an outcome. Um, and so that's the kind of thinking that really allows uh, companies to scale. So with our company, we have verbal learners and it's very, very clear. And the first week I can tell whether you're auditory or you need it written down. And if you're written down, I'll just cancel all of our calls and we'll only have ad hoc conversations, literally. Hmm. If you're verbal, we, we might have a call every day. And we also have manuals. And what's interesting is, guess who doesn't write the manual? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I also guess that you have uh, 200 hours a week to do so. <laughs> I mean, everybody else I review because I know what the big picture needs to look like. But Ruben, so say, for example, you um, are not good at testing the things you put up on our website. Mm. I can tell you what to do or I can tell you what to do and say, look, Put it in the design and development manual. Even if you don't like it, you actually have to know it yeah. to put it in the manual. So one, it, to be able to articulate it so another human understands it, you have to get it deeper. So sometimes when people are resistant to feedback, it's also a subtle way of giving them feedback. Um, and they're forced to internalize it at least enough to be able to say it. And often- right will say, have somebody else tag, like don't have me review it, have this other person review it to see if another human can understand it. Because then it's not, oh, the head of the company, it's her, it's my boss. So if someone's really bad, I'll say, have another person review it. And that person will say, this makes no sense. I don't understand any of this. But it's it's not me, it's you, hon. Uh, right. I mean, this, I hold this topic dear to my heart and it's I'm definitely a student of this idea but this 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 whole realm of making and having more efficiency in our lives 
it's it's so important, you know, and meetings, I mean, Jeff Bezos is famous for this, but he doesn't believe in long meetings and he doesn't believe in meetings that have a lot of people in them because they cost so much money. Yeah. And when when early on in our early days, when we started to realize that, listen, instead of having a meeting for 30 minutes, if we just had if we just used our own software, if we used Dub to record a webcam video, if we recorded a screen video, if we had annotations of that video, if we convey an idea, get that idea across in a visual format, which which also has audio to it, that we'll save 27 minutes in our day and we'll do that five to seven times per day. And now as a result, we we have very, very few meetings, very yeah. few. I mean, they're scheduled up and they're most of our meetings are actually optional. Like if two people say, you know what, there's nothing to talk about because we're good, it yeah. doesn't happen. And then we go back to what we do, which is to build tech. And we always say, which we got this from a, a founder. He says, "Ship code and close deals," and that's that's what our that's I didn't. That's not my line. That's from another another guy. I don't remember his name, but he sold his company to Marketo. Please comment below if you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, ship code and close deals. So, yeah. well, he got straight to the point. I would actually yeah. I second everything <laughs> that you said. I mean, so let's one yeah. of the things we use. We'll send video. And the other thing is, people think more. So when people show up to meetings, they're kind of like, "Well, I didn't really want to waste my time thinking." But I'm now going to sit in front of you, and because you're not going to look at me and say you're not prepared or you're you didn't think about this, I get mm. both of our time thinking. So if they have to send you an email, they have to send you a recorded video, send you a screen share, um, they actually end up thinking more than if they just showed up passively to a meeting. So a lot of the things that would have been discussed are actually preempted because in the process of actually asking better quality questions you solve your question yourself. And uh, yeah, so I second that. We actually do that <laughs> also. And it gets rid of a ton of stuff. And a lot of times I'll say, let's you know go back and forth via technology. And then if we can't, let's have a meeting. And then when we have a meeting, you have agenda and the junior person drives the agenda. So the junior person is used to thinking, I'm going to be told what to do. I'm going to be spoon fed. So if you get on a meeting with me, hey, what are we talking about today? You don't know? You're not ready? Great. Let's just reschedule for when you are ready to have this conversation with me. Yeah. Well, I think I think that it puts someone on the spot, it, probably in a good way, because it I think it forces them to become that leader and to not just be the person, the quiet person in the back of the room. Yeah. That's, that's and I would say it's not even putting them on the spot because they know in advance. So it's not like they were surprised. Like everyone thinks I should be prepared. But we have a, there's not enough time. There's not enough this. But when you come into it with the mindset of, okay, look, we are going to talk about something. Pre-read whatever it is we are going to talk about. The first time you show up and you're like, I did no prep work. And I say, okay, let's do this later. You recognize, oh, we don't waste time here. And everyone at every level has the power to say, I can't have this meeting because I have a higher higher level business priority right now. Or I'm better with Slack calls. Or I'm better with email. Right? So for me, I tend to prefer emails because most things that people think are quick questions are actually back and forth. Oh, yeah. And Slack is they think they're going to get all my intention first continuous period of time or I want you to provide a lot of context so it's one response not ten so right. different people have different modes of 
being effective to answer your question. And so we're all very clear about what's an effective way to reach out to me to get the question answered. And that when you ask a question, and we even have this in our new journey manual, you need to say what you've done. I've been having trouble with editing and I've looked at Google and YouTube and the manual and I can't find it. You're the senior editor, so I came to you. If you show up and you say, I'm having trouble editing, did you Google it? Did you YouTube it? Did you look at the manual? So if you want to just avoid those being the first three questions, say, this is what I have done. And then if you haven't done anything, you will be asked to go do those things. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll even take it one step further that if we are, as business people, if we're documenting processes to help our clients and we have this content that's somewhere in the ether, that that's exactly what our prospects are actually typing in Google and YouTube to find us. So the opportunity here is to document what we're doing and to streamline that entire process, but also even one step further is to actually put that on the net, kind of like what we're doing right now so that people can find us. And then of course we grow the business. So. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I think we need, we haven't put everything up yet and that's what we need to do. Um, So thank you for saying that, but it's fully true. I mean, how many companies, uh, a lot of our clients ask us, how do we document a manual? It feels so overwhelming. So we just show them, we just show them our manuals. That's how we do it. You know, we show them, here's the onboarding manual we used to onboard you. Mm. I do client testimonials. How do I explain to clients what we do? There's a client, there's a testimonial manual. And when you say, hey, I want to do a testimonial, I say, great. And I say, I email you the manual. That's the same formatting standards that we use for our people. So truly, like anything you need to do, any other business probably needs to do it. If I can even tie this back into the idea of crazy. Um, if you're doing something and it works and other people aren't doing it, it's called innovation mm. or not being lazy. <laughs> right. right. It's like either you're just not lazy right. or you're innovating. And so I do find that, you know, there's some just basic things. And so we, and you talked about you wanting to win. So folks, if you want to win, you set your business up for scaling. If you set your business up for scaling, you know, like, you don't want to make it as dependent on you. And sometimes people are like, well, then what's my value? The whole thing was still your idea. Yeah. You set everybody in motion. You hired people. You fired people. You dealt with the big problems. You made the big picture or medium picture decisions. Like they still, a leader's number one job is to make decisions. They still need you every single day or at least periodically to be the the parent of the business and to make decisions and to help drive it. But for God's sakes, empower your team and let them find their own strengths. I, we don't call it putting on the spot at all. It's helping you find your own strengths and grow. I mean, I have, um, for Christmas, I sent personal messages to my team. Someone responded back saying, applying to work here was the best thing I did for myself the entire 2019. And that's the person who has been challenged the most. He, his natural work style and how we work has been, it's incredibly challenging for him. And that, and he says it was the best decision he made in 2019. And so Mm. when you think about your job is to empower your people, empower your clients. If you don't know how to help them, say you don't know how to help them, (laughs) right? Help them focus. And so you're empowering 
people so they can get to the next level and they will be so thankful. I mean, we have clients where the, one of the first five people they tell that they got pregnant mm. because of the closeness. And then they're like, well, it's a good thing we work with you because we need those extra hours now. To be oh, clean. yeah. Well, now, now all that comes into play because now you really need to outsource. Yeah, but yeah. The, the productivity gains are now going into being able to be a parent. Yes. Um, so if you So to really win, you actually help everyone on your team win and when they feel like winners it's like i got a text message sunday at 8 p.m saying i think we should try this service it's uh, a first month trying like what is going on here because people spend their week like people on their weekend are like looking for new services to help the business grow and i'm like uh, okay whatever it's just try it this is the this is the outcome you have to generate for us to keep using it let me know if you need help. Nice. <laughs> nice. I mean, that's the era that we live in, that we, we can address our problems. It's like, you know, this old, this old adage where before 10 or 20 years ago, you know, proverbially, you, if you had a pain in your arm, you wouldn't, you would just let it go. You know, that's what our like parents generation did, yeah. whether it was in business or was it, whether it was with their health. If you had something like if you had a light bulb that made a really loud sound, you just let it go and that just became part of your life. But now we look at problems around us and we say, you know what, there's so much access to professionals, to coaches, to tools, to resources, to technology to solve a lot of those problems. We just have to make the right choices. And to your point, make sure that we're getting the ROI. Yes. And when you're clear about the metric, so you have to be clear about the outcome that things are supposed to get. Otherwise, you can't tell whether or not you're doing a good job, right? So we are all very clear within the company about what metrics are supposed to hit. Um, often you self-report your own metrics. So there is no surprise, right? There is no like, oh my God, we didn't hit the number of views. Uh, no, because you count them. You should know that, yeah. And if you're having challenges, yeah, we do a end of day summary where you summarize what you did for the day. You will report that metric every single day until it's ingrained in you. So, mm. you know, I would say when you have a business, every single thing you sweep under the rug is a problem that's coming. And when you start to scale, all the problems come. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a kid and you're like, oh, I'm, just, I'm not going to worry about their self-esteem in this area. I'm just going to shortcut this. I'm just going to focus on this. All the things you didn't focus on will show up. Like the, oh, I hate bookkeeping, it's so annoying. Great, now you went from a $200,000 business to a $500,000 business, and you got to the end of the year, and you actually, you know you've made a lot more money because you have more, but I literally have people like, I don't know how much I made in revenue, I don't know how much I made in profit. We have zero categories, and we have to redo an entire year. I mean, even to where they only sell like five products and they don't have, they can't tell you how much money they made from each product because the accounting and the bookkeeping was so bad. Yeah. But we can focus on that because we're selling more. Well, that's great. But now, do you know which of your products makes the most money? No. So do you know which one you should be selling the most? No. Do you keep track of your client's feedback? No. So do you know how you should improve your program for your clients? No. Say <laughs> 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 so I'm calling a vet right now. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is really 
really important. And you take the time to write stuff down and you will be, you can win all day long. And I'll give you an example, McDonald's. Yeah, they don't sell the best quality stuff now, but they did back in the day. Trust me, I read the biographies. McDonald's is the most successful restaurant in the entire world. Do they have the best product in the world? No, by far. No one thinks McDonald's, no one in the world thinks McDonald's makes the best burgers ever. People can't like it, but they don't think it's the best. So every customer knows it's not the best. But then we as business owners are like, let's get the best product. Well, obviously that's not all that people care about. The reason McDonald's is effective is the McDonald's brothers who founded it spent years making sure every single fry felt this is the same temperature, hmm. same shape, same size. They were obsessive. They weren't the ones who scaled the business, but they were the ones who got all the processes right. And then Ray Kroc comes in and he's the marketing and sales guy who scales the business. But for everyone, someone had to build the business, build the operations, which is what the McDonald's brothers did. And then when they started scaling, people would do things differently and those McDonald's would fail. <laughs> But if you just follow to so McDonald's, built a recipe for how to run the business. You follow that recipe. You can go to, they've taken it to Asia. They've taken it to Africa. They've taken it to South America. They've taken it to Australia. E even India, even India and, and in mention of burgers in India doesn't really stick. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> let's talk about one fifth of the world's population where a bunch of them don't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> and it still works. So it's really, so I, and so I use that example to say, to show people that there are all these actual individual things that make your business successful and they had the right operations that great got in with their uh, killer marketing. They have Hamburger University really mm. to train people. So they have training right. for management and leadership. So all the core pieces of a business are there and um, you legitimately don't have to have the right, the best product. Um, usually most things aren't the best product because you need a good enough product to meet people's needs. But for you and your business to be super successful, you need to think about all the different pieces that make a business successful. That's, that's, uh, that's knowledge right there. I'm telling you that's knowledge because I obsess. I definitely obsess on technology and on product. I mean, the the time where I do spend a lot of my time is actually building the tech, building yes. the software. Yes. You know, we're we're always launching stuff, and that all comes from really passion from myself, from the team. You know, from the from the sort of end user base. So we really obsess with being best from a feature perspective. But deep down, we know that that you're right that it's about the larger experience it's about the larger brand it's about the customer service it's about the happiness you know the yeah. joy that that we that we bring um but as as uh as, i guess as builders sometimes we get kind of stuck in the process of of the build yeah well and that's where it becomes important so who's on your team right so on your team are your employees you could have a board you could get a coach you accountability find, yeah you find someone else or even an accountability partner right you found someone else who you know has a different perspective so um for a long time i used to talk once a week with this guy who is so risk adverse it annoys the crap out of me but why did i talk once a week i'm an idea machine 
I will filter my ideas. I get very excited. When he hears a new idea, the first thing he thinks is, is that a distraction? Is that a distraction? Is that a distraction? So that and and you know what the best and the best ideas are a distraction for the first X number of months or years. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean the best ideas, right? The best ideas are not just a distraction, but they cannibalize your other products, right? Because your new stuff is so good. But yeah. it was the tension that I looked for, right? Because I knew that we had he. I mean, his, I specifically looked for someone with a contrasting way of looking at a particular topic because that helped keep me in check right and so i didn't need to change because i already knew my strength was ideation structuring high level execution building teams but these were not his so he would see things from his lens and i knew that he was seeing things from his lens and i was seeing things from mine and that's what i was bringing it and that is exactly what i was looking for so, for example, when we work with um, clients who are very technical, they always want to. They often want to talk about the process, the technology, and you know, we'll say things like, um, just "Talk to me like I'm a tech idiot. Tell me what you do like stupid. Can a six-year-old understand it? Can your grandmother understand it?" Or sometimes people get super complex, and we'll say, "Oh, I just did this recently. Pretend your son had this business." All of a sudden, everything's really simple and clear. <laughs> what would you tell your son to do? So. Um, you really, so if you are a builder, then you don't necessarily, a builder and you're a tech innovator, then if your technology is good, you don't necessarily need another person to help you with building and tech innovation. So you might look for a business partner, an accountability partner, a mastermind, a coach that says, let's look at the business 360. Okay. Did this new technology drive any ROI whatsoever? Mm -hmm. yeah. it can't if we launch the technology in this way would it make marketing easier so you would look at someone who sees the value in that but also understand that's the dog leading the tail or the tail leading the dog right so look for someone who can give you that other perspective and be honest and genuinely care and then that allows you because you don't need to change i mean you want to be great at what you're great at so then it's about we have a team when we built a business and we looked for people who do that. And I truly mean a team. So a coach can be part of your team. I have people I have bounce ideas off of. One of my things is I do a lot of typos. So if I send you an email and it needs to be right, I read it a lot. If I post some, my assistant doesn't though. So he reviews so much stuff. So I don't even mean it has to be up or down. He's not as good and he's much better at catching them than I am. So a lot of stuff I'll take the extra couple hours for him to get to a place in his work where he can review it because he's better at that than I am. He took a dip for a month and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Your 400 went, hours went to 200 hours. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I was like, I'm not getting good at this. We already know this ain't my strength. I don't know yeah. what's going on right now. I don't know if you're sick, you're stressed, <laughs> but you need to get back on board with this grammar. Yeah. And I, you know, it's all fun and games, but that's what I mean is it's, it's really a team. Like the people you work with that work for you um, have a strength. If you have a partner, you guys have a strength. And when you don't have that internally, you can bring on someone externally, like a coach who has that strength. So then it gives you what you need. So rather than, you know, you being like, it's a table. If a table has one leg, does it stay up? No. I mean, you clearly have a sense. 
you talked about outsourcing. You've talked about, you know, knowing you, you overworked maybe too much on the feature. So you have, you have an awareness, right? So, but let's take a tech person, tech entrepreneur who doesn't have awareness. Maybe nobody wants these features. Maybe you have the best sound quality, but nobody cares because the other sound quality was good. So if you have the best features, nobody wants it. You have no business. Right. But you bring someone to the table who can help you get the other legs, listen to the customer. Uh, like before we start marketing contracts, we actually talk about what the ROI we want from this marketing activity should be. And we put it in the contract. We put in the contract, what happens if that's not met? What happens if that's not met and you get feisty? Right. <laughs> someone who thinks like that. And so you get all the legs and then you're like, ah, things are flowing. And you didn't need to change the fact that you were product innovation driven. That was the leg that you brought. So then you just find, you can find other resources to bring some of those other legs. Well, the contract is, uh, where did I hear this? It was a podcast. It's, it's not, it's not an agreement. It's a disagreement because the agreement is not really going to be used unless there's a problem. <laughs> so it's better to, it's better to kind of get, get those, uh, the, the issues up, up front and center and, and address those. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I want to, I, I actually would love to, to do something with you. I'd love to build a case study with you in some capacity. I don't know what that means, okay. but, but I, you know, I, I think that rising tide raises all boats and I think that, you know, winning is contagious here. So yeah. uh, we're, we're going to have to figure out some, something offline on how we can do a case study of, of success. And I don't know what it means yet, but stay tuned. Okay. You guys, this is going to be exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be cool. Yeah. So how can uh, how can people find you? Uh, social channels, website. Yeah, yeah. So go to um, yvetteo.com forward slash LinkedIn, and that'll okay. take you straight to my LinkedIn post. Connect because then you'll see my posts. I give a ton of free tips around business scaling and personal development. Go to yvetteo.com forward slash testimonials. And it's great if I think our business is good, but it's really great if other people think it's good. So check out our testimonials. Um, so I highly encourage, check me out on LinkedIn. You get tons of content. And then go to the website, check out the testimonials. And it's Yvette, Y-V-E-T-T-E, and O-O. I know those the three three beautiful letters in an order you may not have heard before. It's O-O. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this yeah. was awesome. And uh, I can't wait to, to do something with you. We're, we're going to win together. Okay, let's do it. All right, take care. Bye. Cool. That was 